It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Listening to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence and Abuse with host Shereen Rice on the CWR Talk Network. Good evening, this is Shereen Rice with Making a Difference About Domestic Violence. My goal for this show is to educate and help in the healing journey for those that are suffering from domestic violence. I'm pre recording this show tonight, so I cannot accept any calls. So hold the calls for this week, and we'll be back with you on next week for a regular showtime. If you're listening tonight, I would like to, and you'd like to get in touch with me, you can email me, though, at Shireen, C-W-R, so that's S-H-A-R-E-E-N-E-C-W-R at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. I want to do a shout-out tonight for, uh, to Karma in Southern Oregon. I want to thank you, sister, for all your hard work that you do for our domestic violence sisters. And so I would um, also like to remind everyone that our show is uh, every Thursday now uh, at 6 p.m. Pacific, 7 Mountain, and 8 Central. Um, My show can also be heard on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play if you subscribe to those services. If you want a direct link to those services, you can go to our CWR homepage, which is on our website, cwrtalknetwork.com, and click on that logo for that service. If at any time you experience a trigger by the, to- uh, the topic that's going to be shared tonight, please call the national hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE or 1-800-799-7233. And we'll be right back for a public service from our public service announcement. Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by FeedThePig.org. Well, I finally did it. I improved my credit score. You're kidding, right? Uh, no. How are we supposed to be the bad boys of electrosynth pop if you're out there being responsible? The band is about to be discovered. This is our year. Uh, yeah, you've been saying that for a while now. You think anyone in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was worried about their credit score? I never really thought that Of we were... course they weren't. Rock stars aren't supposed to think about that kind of stuff. We're supposed to think about how many guitars we've smashed, write aggressively sensitive power ballads, start questionable fashion trends, tragically break up and blame creative differences. All right, all right, just... I thought maybe it was time to take control of my finances, you know? Start using a budget. Get out of debt. Set some goals. A budget? Debt? Set some goals? Listen, I knew that we'd have our creative differences, but I was hoping they'd involve a little more scandal. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence and Abuse with your host, Shereen Rice, on the CWR Talk Network. (laughs) 
Welcome back to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence. So let me tell you a little bit about, a little bit about our guest tonight. I'm speaking too fast. Stacey Womack is the founder and executive director of Abuse Recovery Ministry Service, ARMS is what we call it for short. She started this ministry for those who have experienced abuse in 1997 out of her home. Since then, ARMS has expanded across the United States to Mexico and as far away as Kenya. And she's going to share a little bit more about that. ARMS provides multiple programs serving the whole family, including domestic violence intervention for men and women. Stacy is a respected member of the Domestic Violence Council in multiple counties and has served on the executive committee of these counties, uh, councils, sorry. Stacy is also the recipient of the 2012 Judge Harold Award for Outstanding Collaborative Efforts to End Family Violence in Multnomah County, Oregon. Stacy and her husband, Jerry, have been married for 38 years. They have six kids and nine grandkids. And let me get her out of the green room. Welcome, Stacy. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you can hear me. Sometimes that doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so my first question for you is um, it will revolve around, her, let's start with her journey. Can you tell us a little bit about her journey? It's your program called sure. Her Journey, right? Right. It's, it's our largest program. It's kind of the the cornerstone of the work that we do. It is a free 15-week um, recovery program for women who have experienced or are experiencing domestic abuse. And it's very trauma-informed, meaning that there's no intake. The women can just call, find out where locations are. They can begin at any point because our leaders lead uh, the groups year-round. So they can join at any time, bring um, a support person with them if they're, as long as they're female. And uh, they don't even have to give us their real name. They don't have to talk in the group if they don't want to. So we've just removed as many barriers as we possibly can to make it just a really safe place. And each lesson that we go through deals with a different topic um, that women who have experienced abuse uh, have experienced themselves personally. And so it's called her journey because it's a, a journey through their healing process that we walk alongside them um, while they go through it. So it's been extremely successful. Uh, we've been, we've probably served over 22,000 women since we started in 1997 with this program. Well, that's great. And um, I went to her journey and it's a religious, it has a religious format, right? Or does it always have a religious mm-hmm. format? Yes, it's, yes. Oh yeah, it's uh, we're we're a, a Christian nonprofit, so we're dealing with the issue from a biblical perspective. Although we have women of multiple faiths or no faith at all who've attended and found it extremely helpful, so we're really open to serving everybody. But uh, regardless, we it's always presented from a Christian perspective. Right, and it revolves around Psalms twenty-three, if I remember correctly. Yes, it's kind of loosely connected to Psalms twenty-three. So each lesson we kind of deal with. Uh, a piece of that scripture and and tie it into the title and and kind of topic of the evening. Yeah, so I remember we'll have, we have classes that. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I said, Fit. you know, so for instance, we'll have classes where we talk about, um, uh, like understanding um, God's heart around the issues of abuse, or mm-hmm. around anger, or depression, or submission versus oppression. Um, learning how to dream, begin to dream again, and we just have a lot of different topics that are just really helpful. 
Yes, that's true. And um, one thing I really liked about um, this is it was uh, knowledge-based. It was to help in many aspects of your life and moving forward to help you move forward. And that's where a lot of victims struggle is, is moving forward. Yes. And, you know, probably the most common thing we hear from victims and survivors is that how alone they feel. Um, when they come to us, they just feel like they're, that no one understands and that they're that they're just really alone in this journey. And when they come to group, they realize they're not alone. And so that's that's a very encouraging thing. And so the most common um, things that women say when they complete the program are, is, are they say things like, now I know that I'm truly loved and valued. And because of that, they make different choices. They set boundaries and they begin to live out their dreams. Yeah. Yeah, I have to tell you, I I had no one else to nowhere else to go, and so I was very blessed that the local um, the local agency, the local DV agency uh, for battered women there in Roseburg, um, rec- offered it as an option. She goes, if, if you're a woman of faith, mm-hmm. you might enjoy this. And so I said, I will take anything. <laughs> because I couldn't find a therapist. My head was messed up. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't find a therapist. I had one that would let me talk, but he didn't really. He goes, I don't understand it, but you can talk. And, and that, you know, and I'll help you work through things if you need to. And, um, uh, but he wasn't helpful at all. And so, you know, it was the only place I ever went where I felt completely free to be able to share whatever I wanted to. And I knew it wasn't going to come back on me. I knew that um, it was right. it, people were there that understood that, that um, you know, you could listen, that would listen to you. And, and I probably didn't talk for the first two or three classes because I was just too upset about everything. And a lot of right. times that is the case. But I will tell you, I had some totally um, aha moments all the way through it. I think my biggest aha moment was uh, the part about uh, going through the valley of death. And <laughs> I, I swear it was a spirit said, uh, you're trying to get around the valley of death and not go through the valley of death. And so I'm like, oh, uh, that is something I have to think about. You know, because we all try to go, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to fix this and I'm not going to have to do all these things that people are saying I'm going to have to do. I'm just going to fix it and I'm going to be able to get around all the steps that I'm really going to have to go through. And uh, you actually have to go through all those steps, especially I call it the grief steps. It's kind of like like grieving. If you don't, if you you can't, you have to go through the grieving process. You can prolong it if you don't do it, but you have to go through the grieving process at some point. Right. Right. Yeah, and you might skip yeah. through them back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But what we do, and and you'd agree with this, uh, what we do go through is a grieving process because of the fact that we lose a yes. a companion, and uh, if we ever have right. that companion, but and a whole um, lot of just, other things, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah. Okay, so yeah. tell me, mm-hmm. uh, tell us how successful her journey has been. Um, it's been very successful. Um, we even have a lot of our, our leaders. We have about 85 Her Journey leaders that we train. They're volunteer leaders. And um, many of them have gone through the program themselves and several years down the road are in a healthy place where they can lead. So that's been really awesome. Um, I've I've had women who come into the program who were just so broken and didn't believe in themselves and 
believe the lies that their abuser was telling them, how they were stupid and couldn't do anything. And I've seen many of those women enter college and get straight A's and realize that they're actually not stupid and actually complete college and uh, just do amazing things. I've watched watched women come in almost just physically dying from the stress and the heartache of abuse to coming alive while they sit in front of us. And I think that's why so many of our volunteer leaders lead for so many years. We have leaders that have been leading for more than a decade because there's so much hope in the work we do. There's We, we get to literally watch women come back to life right in front of us and yes. it keeps us all coming back. And it's really unusual in the domestic violence uh, community that to not have high turnover, high turnover in most agency happens because domestic violence is a very difficult topic. It is. But in our Her Journey program, there is so much hope that comes out of it that um, so many of our, our leaders and women just, they want to keep coming and they, they just keep doing the work because they see the good that it's doing. And they're just, they're just always there. They're just amazing women who um, sometimes do more than one group a week. So we're just so blessed. They are the arms of arms, <laughs> all wow. the women who, who uh, partner with us. So they really do the work. And it's just an amazing thing that no matter who's leading it, we still have the same outcomes um, with the different leaders who are leading it. Yeah, that's great. It's pretty exciting. It yeah. is exciting. Yeah. And I think I read that you've had, um, what, over 20,000 go through it, or was it more? Yeah, well, we, we were pulling our numbers in from last year, and so we think we're closer to around 22,000 now. Excellent. Yeah. Now, tell me yeah. a little bit about mankind. Um, I've heard a little bit about it, but I really don't know too much about it. Okay. So there's um, a spectrum you've, you've, uh, that you've got uh, victims on one side and you've got a primary aggressors on the other side. And then uh, there's kind of a spectrum in between where you could have secondary aggression because I'm going to talk about virtue right. as well. But that side is considered intervention work, um, working with people who have used abusive behaviors. And um, abusive behaviors are things that, that a, a person learns to use that work for them. And it may be because they grew up in it or they just learned at a certain age that it got them what they wanted. It became a pattern. So abuse isn't about any particular behavior, but it's a pattern of behaviors to gain power and control in an intimate relationship. So when we started her journey, you know, I mean, obviously the need is great, but it wasn't very far into that that we realized, what are we doing to help the men who are who are using these abusive behaviors? So it's yeah. kind of like if all we're doing is catching the people who are falling off a cliff and nothing's being done to stop the people who are pushing the people off the cliff, we're not really stopping the, the problem. So my husband and I began training for domestic violence intervention or batter's intervention or perpetrator treatment. It's called, depending on what your state you're in, it's called different things. But it's domestic violence intervention. And the programs vary from state to state a little bit, uh, but they all cover um, basically the same concepts of helping men who are using these behaviors to recognize um, what abuse is, that isn't just hitting, isn't just a black eye, because a lot of people only define it that way. But there's a whole host of controlling behaviors that play into their use of abusive behaviors and their beliefs behind why 
They do what they do, actually promote their behaviors. So their beliefs give them permission to behave the way they're behaving. So we really work on that in group. These groups are groups where they have to come to an intake. They pay for that. They pay for the, the weekly sessions. They have to do homework, uh, read books, uh, participate in group discussion. Uh, and we are, it's a very highly accountable group. So every week they have to share the types of abuse they've done since they were 18. They have to give us a past examples and the types of abuse in that example they give. And then they also have opportunity to share the new ways, the healthy ways that they're learning to handle um, to do things. So we allow up to 12 men in a group. They're male-female co-facilitated. Not every state requires that. Oregon does. Uh, we really believe in this model. Uh, it's, I believe it's much more successful than a single facilitator in a group. Um, it, we get to model share power. Plus, the men often have issues with women, so having a woman in group in, who's in a position of power uh, you know, challenges some of those beliefs they have. And then we mm-hmm. also get to make sure that the a feminine and uh, voice is heard, that the victim voice is always um, heard. And we're very unique as an organization because most organizations – either only work with victims or survivors or they work with perpetrators of abuse and we do both and so we have this really broad spectrum of understanding of abuse and then in between you've got these secondary aggressors and so we have a a program for women that is not quite as long as our men's group but pretty close they're they're nine months to a year depending um, on how they do in the program but you know a lot of women who've, who've been raised in abuse who have learned the behavior or they've been in an abusive relationship for so long, they just began to dish it back out. And they're, they're using abusive behaviors, but they're not necessarily gaining power and control. But it doesn't make the abuse okay. So whether a man or a woman is using abuse, whether it's a one-time event or a pattern of behavior, it's not okay. So with the men, they generally are our primary aggressors. They're the ones who have the power in the relationship. Physically, right. they're usually bigger. Society gives them more power. The the faith community gives them more power. And whether they want it or not, even good men have more power <laughs> than most women. So um, yeah. it's helping them understand that and not to misuse it and what they can do to actually influence their own sphere of influence around them. And um, we've been doing that group since 2001 for the men. And we have some men who work very, very hard and he really makes significant changes. One year in group really doesn't fix it all, but it's a really good start. And so it's a kind of a lifelong journey. But if we can really help them to also understand that God loves and values them so they can let go of some control, let go of that control and trust God, then um, we've seen men whose relationships have made it or if they haven't made it, the women share with us that um, – He's no longer using abusive tactics. He's not using the children. The sharing of the children is is no longer um, a power struggle. So for those men who do the very, very hard work, it's really exciting. Now, there's a lot of men who will make some change. Uh, The majority of our men, I would say, would fall into this group of they make some change, but often not enough to actually save the relationship. Or it may be that she just cannot give her heart away one more time, and we understand that. And we help her to grieve through that that process. But for the men, um, you know, there's a small group on one end who make no changes at all. But all the men gain new knowledge because the very first class we talk about all the types of abuse in, in really a broad 
spectrum of abuse. So every man gains something from coming to the program, but whether or not he changes is really up to him. We have no control over that. So we meet the state standards, so we receive court-mandated men, men from the Department of Human Services. We also have about a 25% voluntary um, uh, caseload of of guys. Often they're wife-mandated or their pastors or their counselors have sent them our way. And um, they're, you know, while they have maybe not been arrested, they're really not any different than the rest of the guys. Most of the men in the group are not, um, in our groups, uh, aren't generally your hardened criminals. Uh, most of those guys don't usually choose a faith-based program because that program is also faith-based. The men don't have to be active in their faith, but they at least need to believe God exists to be appropriate for the group. And um, it's, you know, for the men who have made changes, it's, it's really exciting. I have a, a, a man who completed seven years, of, well, he went through the program seven years ago, was in it for a couple of years as a voluntary client. His wife uh, left and moved a, a couple thousand miles away from him and uh, with their children. And he came to our program and made great change. And um, God restored their relationship. And he just finished a book that just it just been put out on the market talking about, um, about you know being an angry man and how, how he his process for walking through that healing process from that was so that's exciting to see the men that we that work is. with begin influencing male culture because it really is going to take men standing up to other men to really make significant change but I believe that what we're doing in our mankind program is is a really powerful thing and it's it's some of the most difficult work we do because the guys are the most resistant. Yes, but um, very, very important. And then our women who come in to Virtue, uh, which is our women, our women's intervention group, um, all of them have, I would say 99.9% of all the women who come to us have been victims of abuse as well as have used abusive behaviors. Sometimes they lean more towards the victim side of the spectrum. Sometimes they lean more towards the primary aggressor side of the spectrum. If they lean more towards the victim side of the spectrum, uh, they have a harder time relating in group, but they can they still gain really good tools of handling conflict and standing up for their their value and setting appropriate boundaries. And for our women who lean more towards primary aggression, they talk very much like our male um, aggressors. They 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 have the same belief systems as our male aggressors. They um, they they say the same thing. So they and the same thing with a male secondary aggressor. They sound very much like our female secondary aggressors. And even male victims actually use a lot of the same verbiage that female victims use. So it's an interesting dynamic um, for us. But in the in the virtue class, we do a lot of the same things. There's the intake. There's fees to pay, there's homework to do, books to read, that type of thing. But we, in that book, we're very carefully balancing their victim recovery work with holding them accountable for their uh, abusive behaviors. And the women come out of there feeling more empowered because they come into group feeling like everybody else has control of them emotionally. And as they learn that they, they are the only ones who are in control of them and they don't get hooked into those arguments anymore Usually they're with a primary aggressor who is not happy that they're making these changes, and oftentimes these women will end those really unhealthy relationships um, because of that. And sometimes uh, because they're making changes, their husbands or boyfriends will enter the men's program um, as they see change in her. So it's an, it's just 
extraordinarily interesting dynamic. And again, some of those women will make really great changes. A lot of them make really great changes. And there's some who uh, make very little change. And um, it really has to do with where a person's heart at and if they're really ready. So while you might think that the men's group would be a scary group to to hold, actually the men are usually on their best behavior. And I've never really had anything significantly scary happen in a men's group, you know. Um, I've had a few times, maybe in all these years, uh, five guys maybe get up and walk out of group. But actually it's our women who give themselves to act on their emotions who um, in the virtue group that I've had bigger issues with them, um, you know, in using their behaviors inappropriately in group. So um, it's it's one of my favorite groups to lead because it is a, kind of an interesting, complex thing to deal with, um, honoring the fact that they have been victimized, but at the same time um, holding them accountable for their abusive behaviors. Yeah. Um, so I'm... I'll be honest with you. I didn't even hear about the Virtue group until recently. Has that been out for a while? Yeah, we started that back in 2003. So we've been doing that a long time as well, and yeah. um, and serve you know the again corrections and DHS and um, and voluntary clients as well. So the so those uh, programs though are not not as easily available to people because we're only in a couple states with those programs with mankind yeah with mankind and virtue we're we're um in oregon and we're up in uh, northeast washington with uh, mankind and with virtue and her journey is spread out across further yeah do you find that in mankind um you said that the um uh, they're court appointed at times to attend mankind correct uh-huh. do you find that that yes, sometimes that might be a problem because it is um faith-based or is it just an option for men whether it's faith-based or not uh it's given to them as an option and i like it best because we work in multiple counties i like it best when they give them a sheet with the different providers on it because I feel like that's a more fair and just way. Occasionally, uh, a probation officer needs to specifically pick a program for specific reasons. But um, in in counties that don't have that, uh, they're, they're, they should be asking at least if the client is interested in a faith-based program, but they often don't, which makes it difficult for men of faith to uh, find us. If And so sometimes, unless they found us online before they went to court, they they wouldn't even know that that was an option for them to to do. So we have um, we have different counties that handle it different ways. And so it it really if they don't give them a list with the different providers or they don't talk about the fact that there's a faith based option, those counties we don't get as many referrals from, which is really sad because the county that that does allow the men to choose, we have a lot of groups and it's a smaller county than other counties that we're in. And I know that we could fill more than the groups that we have. Um, in the county that's providing a lot of people to our groups than in the other counties. And, you know, there's some men who who specifically really want a faith-based program and other ones who went to church as children but haven't really returned but chose to come to our program. Um, And so, like I said, they don't have to be active in their faith, but they have to be okay with our faith-based approach. 
And, uh, you know, I've, I've uh, really watched the guys. It's really cool to watch the uh, the aha moments for the guys as much as it is watching the, the women, as you mentioned, have aha moments as well. But, again, there's no guarantees if a man goes to a program that he'll change because I don't ever want to give that false sense of hope. But at the same time, without the opportunity, he will not change. So he needs the opportunity to be able to go. So a lot, So some of our women in our groups will say, as a boundary, in order for us to be able to move forward, you need to go through this program. And I usually recommend separation during that time for a period of time because they're they're able to make better progress when they're not in the same home. Yeah, I yeah. agree with you. Um, separation okay. can be very functional for domestic violence, but not not necessarily for normal marital conflict. And are some of the women that go to virtue are they? Yeah. Are, are some of the women that go to virtue, are they um, court-appointed? Um, court yes. They're court, yep, they're court-mandated or sent through Department of Human Services, or they make him voluntarily. They, we've had women call and say, I need more help than her journey, and I'm finding myself repeating patterns that my parents did with me growing up, and I don't want to do that to my kids, and I want some help with this. Oh, or maybe awesome. they were in an abusive relationship, and they got out of it, and then they're married to someone's, someone who's healthy, but they're still repeating poor behaviors because of the past relationship they were in who come to us saying, we need help. We need help yeah. with um, making some changes and finding, getting some healing so that we don't continue to have this pattern um, change. Because if we can help one parent, we can stop the cycle of abuse for the entire family uh, right. because that one person can have a huge influence on change, changing the child's perspective on relationships and life and how people should treat one another. But when the whole family is dysfunctional, it just uh, cycles every generation. Yes. And, and of course, um, not everybody who grows up in abuse will repeat it, but many do. Well, and that's growing up in abuse. <laughs> Correct. They don't all repeat it, but um, many do not necessarily repeat the abuse, but they have acquired abusive tactics. Um, I find most victims acquire, you know, use abuse tactics. It might be something as mild as just raising your voice, trying to get um, some control back into her life. You know what I mean? Like, leave me alone. I'm, you know, I'm I'm tired of this. Well, most women in an abusive relationship will try everything to try to make it stop. So they'll try everything right. from being overly compliant to dishing mm-hmm. the abuse right back. Right. Hoping that then he'll see how it makes her feel and he'll want to stop the behavior. Right. But it doesn't work yeah. because when you when you raise your level of power and control with an abuser, because he's about power and control, he has to raise his level, level of power and control as well. So we had, and it validates we had a man in it our program. He was... Yeah, we had a man who was six foot two, big guy, um, married to a little gal, maybe a hundred pounds, little tiny thing, and um, they got into an argument, and she got angry, and she yelled, called names, through through a vase, all abusive things to do. But yeah. in doing that, she upped her level of power, so he had to up his level of power, so it actually made her more unsafe because he threw the TV. So that happens when a, when a victim is in a, in a situation and she's trying to gain power through power and control tactics with an abuser, it actually makes it more dangerous for her. That is, it's not going to be the way you're going to stop someone who's abusive. You've got to start setting boundaries, whether it's simple, um, 
easy boundaries to the more difficult boundaries like actual separation. And that's very mm-hmm. hard because these women don't want their relationship to end. They want the abuse to end. They love him. They hate the abuse. And right. so, I mean, nobody gets in a relationship for it to end. And so these women work harder than anybody else to save their relationships. They, they right. go to all the conferences. They go to counseling. They read the self-help right. books. And none right. of those things will fix it because she cannot change herself to fix his behavior. He right. has to choose to do that for himself. So all right. she can do is set boundaries like this cannot continue. And if it does, and this is what's going to happen. <clears throat> Excuse me. So boundaries now, with consequences is what we teach in her journey. That's mm-hmm. a little bit scary because of the fact that if one of her boundaries is this is not going to continue and I'm going to leave, and knowing that when you leave, leaving and after you've left, 70% of all deaths occur during that time, does it not raise the right. consequence for her as well? Absolutely, because the statistic is 75% of homicides happen after a woman leaves. And that's even if there wasn't physical abuse going on prior to that because he's just lost control. Right. So, you know, a lot of women start with uh, um, smaller boundaries. Like if you call me names, I'm going to leave and go to my friend's house. That would be a boundary with a consequence. Yeah. And, of course, these guys are boundary breakers so that that doesn't normally work, but they try it and they try different things with while they're in a group where they're getting support. So if she if she feels like and she's worked up to this point or she ha- she doesn't even have to work up this point she just knows that the only way to truly be safe is to leave then she needs the safety plan and safety planning there's all kinds of safety plans online we do safety right. planning as well in order so that when she does leave she's she's done what she can to be as safe as she possibly can but i can tell you most of these guys are bullies and if she gets a restraining order or a protection order depending on what your state you're in, it's called different things. Um, if she's able to get um, that, most of the guys, if she holds them to the consequence, and he, he texts her when he's not supposed to, now she has this protection order in place. If if she calls the police and holds him accountable for him breaking that restraining order or protection order, these guys don't usually continue to do that because um, they don't really believe you're going to hold to the boundaries because you never really have. Right. So uh, that's that's one thing. But for some guys, there is a small percentage of guys who a piece of paper means absolutely nothing. These sociopaths are are really a small percentage, but they're dangerous. And so those women, it's it's not probably wise to get a protection order. It's more about safety planning to leave. They even have federal programs where women can change their name and their social security number to help them to stay safe from their really most dangerous of dangerous men out there. Yeah. And we've dealt with some of those women who've had to go through that process. And um, your advocates know how to um, do all that to help these, well, these girls out? Well, we have with, with packets that we hand out at our groups, um, they have a, we have a safety plan in there. And when we have somebody in group that we know is in danger, we will take the time to review bits and pieces of it because there's safety planning for in the moment if you need to leave at a moment's notice. Safety planning if you have a little bit more time to gather things. Safety planning for your children in school. Safety planning in your work um, place. So there's different ways to safety plan. Um, and there's also in, in every most every major city and county, there's um, uh, some domestic violence agency 
out there that can also help walk her through that process. But it, this is very, very hard to do without the support of others, without regaining some of who you are before you take those kinds of steps. These are right. very big, courageous steps to take. Right. And again, it's not what the women wanted. They wanted the happy marriage. They wanted the happy family. And it's heartbreaking when you have to let go of that dream. Right. And that's right. a grieving and- process. Yeah, it's a it's probably the hardest process. But um, what I noticed about your program mm-hmm. is it lends itself to keeping families together. Am I right on that? Well, we really no we well we really believe um, that we are about the individual. Mm-hmm. So we have to be that way. Otherwise, we're not putting victim safety first. Mm-hmm. The victim safety and offender accountability. That's that's a, those are the order that things go in. So we're always going to work with the individual. Sure, you know, God, uh, you know, is a God of reconciliation, but there are times that you cannot reconcile because the other person is not willing to do make the changes that will make it safe for you emotionally and physically in your relationship. And so I, I give this example in our lesson on forgiveness, that forgiveness really isn't about the other person at all. And mm-hmm. as you know, if you've gone through this lesson, um, right. we talk about what forgiveness isn't. <laughs> So uh, we had a, a, a young pastor in our church, an interim pastor, and he did a lot, he did a sermon on forgiveness, and it was an, he did everything that we teach. It was so good, and he's such a humble young man, except for the one thing that he added in there that it wasn't true forgiveness unless you have reconciliation. And I came to him afterwards, and and he was so gracious and so humble to accept my feedback. So I said, so I said, let's say you have a friend, and he comes over to your house. Um, you know, on and off, you guys visit, you and your wife visit with him. One time comes over when you're not there and he rapes your wife. I said, would you let him back in your home? And he was like, absolutely not. I said, so God would probably still require that you work through forgiveness, but that doesn't mean necessarily mean that you're going to have ongoing relationship with that person. It is right and appropriate to distance yourself from somebody when um, it is unsafe. The yes. Bible says prude men or women sees the danger and hides. And so yes. it, there is right and appropriate times to do that. Yes. And even in, not have relationships. So I have, you know, I have women in my groups who have families who are abusive. And I said, so you're either going to limit your time with them or, you, you know, a lot of them, because, you know, some cultures are really meshed with their family. And so uh, completely walking away from their family just is not going to happen. So then we talk about how they can limit their time and set some boundaries around their time with their fam- family so that um, so that they can still maintain some relationship but really protect themselves in the midst of it. Yes, yes. I love everything that you just were talking about. Um, now, let me ask you this about Oregon. Um, what is your uh, ratio for um, of homicides? How what's the percentage of de- domestic violence? Well, nationally, and that's what everybody goes by, is uh, uh, three a day uh, domestic homicides happen, um, and it could be more. I think it, as as the police and um, the corrections. Uh, entities have gotten better educated. You know, it used to be that they just reported um, that there was a homicide, um, but now they're understanding that those that there was a lot of homicides that re- they reported just as homicides when really they were domestic violence homicides. 
Right. And what people don't understand about mass murders, mass murders are four or more people being killed. And I think the stat is 52% of all mass murders are domestic violence. So that's a huge issue. And that yet is. when you think about phys- physical violence, it's scary, it's dangerous, it's illegal, but it's actually one of the least forms of abuse used. And so right. there's a lot of uh, women out there who are, in, who are suffering abuse who will never, it will never raise to that level. There's, there's some women who will never experience physical abuse in their relationship because the abuser never has to do that to get his way. He can use right. all the other tactics and even be scary, like throwing things and punching holes in walls. He doesn't ever have to touch her if he can convince her that he's dangerous. Right. Right. So, right. And so, you know, that's, it's a huge her. deal. So why we, you know, when you talk about people dying from abuse, the reality is that millions, millions more women are dying um, very slow deaths from the stress of being in an abusive relationship because our body releases cortisol when we're under that stress. And that cortisol was meant to save us when we were being chased by a saber-toothed tiger. But um, it wasn't meant to be being flushed in our system, you know, all day, every day. And we have a place in our brain called hippocampus that goes to counteract the cortisol but it can't keep up. And so cortisol is actually very damaging to your organs that eat away at them. So there's studies that have been done in the health community that show the, the um, there's health issues that are directly related to being in domestic violence. And the longer a woman has been in abuse, the more long-term her health issues are. And we, yet we have seen that women, when get out of abuse, how much their health actually improves. Some women have lifelong issues that continue, but still their health improves when they're no longer under that type of stress. And they're, they're studying how babies, um, as women who are in abuse, their babies are being born with really high levels of cortisol. And you can actually die from having too high levels of cortisol in your system. So wow. babies are being born with these high levels of cortisol because it's flushing through the woman's body as she's carrying this baby because she's in a constant state of stress and fear all the time. And so it's it's a very damaging thing. So it's more like for most women who are in abuse, it's more like taking a little bit of poison every day, not enough to really be noticeable, not until you're very late in the game when you feel like you've, you've lost all your support system, you've lost your health, you've lost your finances, and you've really lost, you really feel like you've lost everything. That women, those are the women who'll come to us who are just so destitute and feel like there was no way out. Now they found a way out, but they need help and they need support. And again, we just get to watch them come back to life again and realize that why they've been telling them all this, themselves all this time, it, nothing. there's no way for this to change. There's no way out. There really is a way out. It just isn't always the way you want it to look or be. So we have a saying, you always, we always have choices. We may not like the choices we have, but we always have choices. And unfortunately, sometimes leaving is not the choice the women want to take. And right. So, well, I found uh, or they feel like I, there's just no options. Yeah. When I found uh, the abuse was actually worse, it was exponentially worse after I left. Yes. It was, and we tell it, we usually tell women they should expect that because he, he's lost control. Right. So he's gonna, he's going to up his level of control. And so it usually gets worse before it gets better. I, I'm always honest with the women about this isn't going to be easy. It's going to be messy. 
but it's not going to change if you keep doing what you're doing. And you have to be willing to do something different than what you've done before in order for it to change. So, yeah, it's really, really hard in the beginning. That's why you need a, a group around you who's supporting you and praying for you and, and affirming you for your experience and the, the good choices that you're setting, boundaries that you're setting, um, that will really help you through a time like that when you're having to make really hard decisions. Right, right, it is. And and you need someone that understands Completely. And that's what I found with, um, I mean, it was absolutely a godsend that when I found arms, I can't tell you because I had people that I could talk freely with. I I could relate to, um, they would help me with, you know, whatever it was that I needed, which was just psychological and emotional support really by that time. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. I didn't know I didn't know about it earlier. I I think I it was like two or three months after I left and I was a total basket case because the emotional abuse continued. It actually got worse, far worse uh than when right. I was with him. It's almost not worth leaving. And I think that's what some of the women think, man, it's almost not worth leaving. It's yep. just worse when you leave. Right. Well and you know, and statistically women leave seven to eight times before they leave for good because they're hoping that when she leaves that he's going to get a clue and he's going to finally understand he's going to get help and he's going to follow through with the promises he gave but um you know usually it's just him being nice is just another form of controlling behavior controlling her back into relationship or or making her feel like um, she overreacted or whatever a tactic he chooses or gift giving or you know he buys her a car i mean he he does things that she's been asking him to do for years, like he makes an appointment to go see a counselor, you know, just the things that she's been hoping for. And so she moves back home and then he stops immediately because yeah. he got what he wanted. And so he was just yeah. using the behaviors to control her back into relationship. And that's very typical. So I usually tell women that when you separate, plan at least six months because anybody can behave well for a while. And he'll go through a range of different tactics but if he ha- if he hasn't made true change, he will eventually go back to being angry. And right. um, so th- these really change for these for men and women who use abusive behaviors is very very hard. But especially for these men who have been taught that it, it's their job as a man to be in control and to rule, and that if they're not willing to do that, they're not real men. And so you, changing them to understand what does God have to say about what leadership actually looks like. Jesus came, he said, I came to serve, not to be served. That's completely backwards to the way our society um, thinks. Right. And so the man is meant to be the, the one who's laying his life down to benefit his family. It's not about his family serving him. It's about him serving his family. But when we, when the guys get a hold of this, they're shocked when they come back to group and they tell us how they actually put it into practice and, and what a different response they got and um, how cool it was. And they just realized that how wrong their thinking was. Um, and it begins to create that, that change in them that we want to see. And like I said, if we don't help those who are using the abuse and we're only saving those who are being victimized, those abusers are just going to go out and meet more victims. We've got to be working um, on the entire family. So while we're not always about unification, that would be great if, if, the, if they're willing to do the work that needs to be done. 
we're really about helping the individual. So even if the relationship doesn't make it, we want them to be healthy, have healthy relationships, and stop their abusive behavior. Right. Because most of these guys are going to get involved in another relationship if this one ends. And so we don't want another victim um, from... Or they're already in another relationship. And a lot of the women... Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and um, you know, it's interesting, though, that, you know, I, we've had quite a few guys talk about how their ex-wives have, I feel a little angry that, you know, now that he's finally making change and she's in another relationship that he, she's mad that he didn't do that when she was with him, you know, because yeah. that's what she wanted in the beginning, you know, right. and um, even though they're happy, but at the same time, there's that sense of anger over why didn't he do that when I was with him. But the, the guys don't come to us generally. They don't generally just decide, oh, I think I have a problem. They don't think they have a problem. They think they're victims right. of the problem. And so right. there has to usually be almost always external pressure from um, either the court systems or Department of Human Services or his wife or his church or something that says you need help. And we've had a few guys you know, they had an incident where they were physically abusive. The, the police weren't called, but it scared them that they had reached that level. And they went online and found us, and they came in going, I need help. Because abuse never starts with physical. It always starts with the emotional and verbal forms of yeah. abuse, the ones that people don't recognize as abusive. Because everybody right. using it, you know, to some degree does not make it okay, though. Right. It doesn't matter if it's one time or a pattern. Right. Yep. Right, I agree. Um, okay, another thing I was going to ask you about, and I'm not sure if you're a part of this or not, but in Oregon, there's certain um, counties that have um, DV councils, pretty much. Have you ever uh, experienced any yep, of those? Oh, I'm yeah, sorry. I've, I've, um, I'm, I've, I've actually been. Um, I'm on several. <laughs> We're connected with several uh, county uh, domestic violence councils, and I've actually chaired uh, 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 the council, co-chaired in a couple different counties, the councils. So uh, as an agency, you know, especially as a faith-based agency, it's really important for us to be a part of the larger domestic violence community because the faith community has so poorly handled this issue, uh, and the domestic violence community as a whole doesn't really trust the faith community because a lot of a lot of times pastors um, will, because they don't understand abuse, will do things that make it actually more unsafe. They'll send her back into a, an abusive situation. And I don't believe it because it's because they don't care. I believe it's because they don't, they, they're not educated around this issue. Right. And I believe that every seminary, every Bible college, and every counseling degree should require an entire course on domestic violence. Right. Um, because they're you... the ones who are running into them. Can you share with me a little bit about those councils? Um, they include um, DAs, law enforcement. Who, is this like a community group? Yeah, it's a community group. So you have a lot of your county people there, so your DAs, your police officers, your um, a judge usually, um, district attorneys, um, prosecutors, things like that. But then you also have you have uh, you know all, any any agency that deals with domestic violence. So you could have um, a crisis line person there. You could have a nonprofits like ours sitting at the table 
um, they're usually open to the community. Usually anybody can go. You may not be a member, but anybody can go. We have mediation services at these. We have um, child protective services or organizations that deal with with, um, uh, working with children who have experienced or witnessed abuse. Uh, at these councils as well as well so it's a it's a broad spectrum of people at this and you know that's what you want you because it, the keywords years ago when I first started was you want a coordinated community response the whole community needs to come together and work together to end this and um, you know it, right. it can't just be one group of people or one gender of people it, it's going to take everybody working together to make it work Right. And what is it that you do at these meetings? Do you have uh, learning opportunities? I mean, teaching opportunities? What is it that you do exactly? Well, normally, at most of them, um, you, you, you go around and you introduce yourself and you tell them what organization you're with and you make any announcements about your organization or, or events coming up. And then after that, um, they have... Um, a time where they all usually like uh, have a topic. There's, they, they usually all have agendas, so there's an agenda set. There's usually an executive council within the council itself, and the executive council sets the agenda, and uh, the executive council tries to look for topics and things that are relevant for the, with what's going on in society and, and, and what's important um, during that time. Um, so, you know, there's been a lot of talk about domestic violence um, and immigration and the problems that's caused. Um, so, you know, whatever is like kind of the hot topics of the area and the time, those are often the topics. So there is some learning time. Uh, but, uh, you know, part of the, the beauty of having councils is the networking so that you can build a relationship with someone and find out what they do so that you can go, oh, that's where I can send somebody for that. Because no one is the whole answer. We are just one piece of the puzzle. Right. We, there's things that we don't do. So we things that we don't do. Like we don't do housing, you know, so we don't do shelter work. So right. we, we need relationship with those shelters so that we know where we can send them and the process for sending them and all that. So um, it's really a great way for all of us to get to know each other. And it, um, when you really get to know someone, even if you have negative feelings, like if somebody is, is biased against the faith, uh, faith programs in general, um, and they get to know me or somebody from the organization and realize I'm just as human as they are, <laughs> you know, it kind of undoes some of those um, maybe attitudes that they might have that are negative so that you can have relationship and actually work together. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I know that several of the counties in Oregon have that. Um, I know that uh, yep, Douglas County was extremely resistant towards that and refused to have that, but um, that would have been such a an addition. Um, what do um, like law enforcement and the um, DAs and judges, what did they talk about when they were there? Is it just for information for them to figure out where to send people and how to help uh, victims uh, and abusers? Well, if they're if they've been slotted to speak about something, then they would speak. Otherwise, we all are there just as a community to hear whatever topic is is going on, so that we can all be on the same page and be informed. So that's that's you know they, it's great to have a judge there because a lot of judges uh, haven't received a lot of education around domestic violence, and you want a really informed 
judge around uh, domestic abuse so they can uh, really understand the issues well when they're sitting on the bench, especially if they if they are in charge of a domestic violence caseload because some uh, counties have their own um, uh, domestic violence teams. So the police officers have their own domestic violence teams. The district attorneys have their own domestic violence teams. They have a, a courtroom that does just domestic violence um, you know, things like that, which makes it really good because that, that group of people are specialized in domestic violence and are better right. at handling the issues well than just a general family court where they go in and the judge isn't, isn't informed and the district attorneys aren't right. informed. Now in, in a lot of the larger counties, um, they have their own victim advocates within their system. So police have their own victim advocates. Uh, the district attorney's office has their own victim advocates. So, um, you know, there's there's more of that going on all the time, which is good. Yes. That's what we want to see happen. Yes, yes. And the advocates, um, I know you're on several different ones. Do they, the police advocates, do they go out with police and help in the, um, help with the victims? Some, some counties have that, yeah. Some counties have a um, domestic violence response team is often what they're called. And they will go yeah. out, they'll get called in, and sometimes they're volunteers that they train. They'll have somebody on staff who actually oversees them and trains them, and they'll carry a pager or something like that, and, and they'll have hours, set hours that they are going to be available, and oftentimes it's the middle of the night, and they will go out so they can just be there to be with the victim and help support her. And often when the victim's in trauma, it's really hard to do much of anything, you know, she can't really absorb a lot of things when she's in trauma. Sometimes some of those teams do a follow-up phone call within 24 hours because when things begin to calm down, the victim often begins to remember more as well. Yes, I noticed that happened to me as well. Um, Going into shock, um, I couldn't remember anything, and I was actually, when I came out, was just surprised... um, that number one, I couldn't remember anything. <laughs> but uh, yeah. number two, that it even happened to me. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's and that's okay, typical, so and, and it's it's part of the trauma training that we've received. And those are I've yeah. heard of uh, those groups. Um, Los Angeles has several of them. I've seen them in Ohio, Iowa, all over the United States, actually, and. They're called domestic abuse response teams, I guess, and um, they're volunteers. They go out with law enforcement and work hand-in-hand with um, law enforcement collaboratively. And um, I've seen a lot Uh of literature on that as well that indicates that uh, they have more convictions, that they actually arrest the right person instead of the victim, and um, that they just have a lot better... um, uh, they they actually start to lower the domestic abuse in the in the area, mm. yeah. which is you know one of mm-hmm. my biggest fears in um, in Utah. They've gone from thirty three percent to forty percent of all homicides are domestic abuse, mm-hmm. and like you said, not and all some of, of that might be them. that they're actually doing a some of them. Some of that number could be the fact that they're actually recognizing homicides as domestic violence homicides where they did not before. So, right. you know what I mean? It's like, because years ago they didn't, I mean, domestic violence homicide wasn't even a phrase, <laughs> you know? So right. now right. they're having a better understanding. But there are 
stress uh, tends to increase homicides in 2010 when, um, you know, big downturn in the economy, people are losing jobs. Uh, Oregon had a 40% increase in domestic violence homicides. So stress definitely they makes it. it worse. Holidays are worse. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even even su- the Super Bowl day is one of the worst domestic violence days of the year. Is kind it really? considered a men's holiday. Yeah, it's almost like a men's holiday. And so don't bother yeah. me while I'm having my beers and watching my, my football. So um, that's uh, a, a day that there's usually a lot of calls. So, but stress definitely is is um, a factor, and also how depressed um, someone is. But um, there's all kinds of assessments out there too on how dangerous a situation is. Uh, but nothing, you know, is perfect as far as that. But there's definitely some earmarks that we see. Um, they use the lethality yeah. assessment here, the lap they call it. Um, but I have a couple more questions. Um, I know I got off topic a little bit. Uh, I just saw that you were from Multnomah, and I know they had a really good council there for domestic violence, so that's why I asked that question. Yeah. Um, but my um, uh, Yeah, I actually live outside of Multnomah County, but not far, so that's one of the councils I go to. Yeah. Um, one of the questions I have is those that um, want to be a part of ARMS um, or mm-hmm. uh, the other two, uh, Virtue or Mankind, um, so not ARMS, I'm sorry, uh, Her Journey, um, Virtue or Mankind, um, who would they contact or how would they contact you guys? Or what so, if they don't have a program so, there? Right. So we have groups in multiple states, but we're not all the way across the United States, but we're working to do some expansion here soon. So if you're needing a group, so if someone who's listening to this, a, a woman who's listening saying, hey, I need I need this group to help me heal, um, we have a live conference call that we do, and they would, they would call our office, and I don't know if you want me to give that number or not. I can do that yes, if you please. want me to, or go to our website yes, and get please. that phone number. So... Um, our office number is 503-846-9284. And our website is armsonline, that's A-R-M-S, online.org. And we have uh, How Healthy Is Your Relationship Evaluation on there. We have a video of uh, one of the women who's gone through our program. Uh, it talks about all our programs that we have in there. So we, are, we can serve from afar. We even have women call in from other countries. On this conference call, we're talking about maybe adding another one, an evening one, which would work for people who are in, in places that the time difference is quite opposite from ours. Um, that would serve um, them as well. And then uh, starting at the end of March, we're going to start providing uh, training um, online for people who are not close enough to train with us locally so that they could lead a her journey in their area it could be an individual, it could be a church, it could be a community um, uh, or organization. Um, and right now we're partnering with the Union Gospel Rescue Mission, uh, which is rebranding the city gate, and they are, they are getting ready to advertise it out to all of their national and, and in Canada, U.S. and Canada missions, um, encouraging them to take training through arms, be able to offer her journey. And then we hope to, at the end of this year to also be able to have mankind 
training for that as well. Um, we can't get people to state standard because every state has their own standards, but this could be something used, um, would be appropriate to use with a group of men if it's done right, could have the same outcomes that we have in our, our program. And um, in mankind, when we, every year we give them uh, the county, our, the, the names and date of birth of the men who completed the program, we go back five years every year to find out what's our recidivism rate. This is, you know, the illegal forms of abuse. And we're at a 5% yeah. recidivism rate, which is, is way low. I mean, most organizations aren't even close to that. So it doesn't mean they've stopped all their forms of abuse, but the illegal forms, that's pretty impressive. So we're hoping okay, to so be able to push that out um, and virtue. Recidivism, meaning that... We, Within a, a five years of guys completing, because we always go back five years, we have them check to see who got rearrested for domestic violence. And our rates on that are at 5%. So in other words, you have a so 95% that's really low. success rate. In terms of uh, recidivism, yes, of, right. of what would be criminal Going back domestic it. violence. Yeah. Um, that is... So they may really still good. be verbally abusive, <laughs> but if we're helping it, if we're helping that much in that area, then hopefully it's helping enough, uh, you know, a, a lot in the other areas as well. And virtue, we're hoping again also push that out pretty close to the same time as we do mankind. Um, uh, but those programs, mankind and virtue, currently are only being held in kind of the Portland, Oregon metro area, and in the northeast, uh, Washington, Spokane, inland northwest is what the area would be. Um, where we offer that program, those two programs, Virtue and Mankind. We offer her journey in those areas as well as other states and in Mexico and in Kenya. And we have her journey translated into Spanish, Russian, and Kiswahili. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're, now, do you we're have, doing what um, we can to reach, the, reach out. Yeah, do you have um, her journey in Utah, Nevada, Colorado? We do not. So those would be those would be a live conference call for the women. Um, okay. We we have actual some recorded um, sessions as well. So if they can't make a, a live conference call, but I tell you, live conference call is still better than just having listening to it because you're still having the support of other women. I I, right. I wasn't really sure the conference call would work, but I found that as I was doing it, because when we first started, I was leading it. Um, that the women, they'd get online and they'd be chatting with one another before I even got online with them. And they built relationships with one another, just just like you would in an, a regular group. So, um, you know, it, it was really, um, it's been really a great thing. And I'm really glad that we were, we've been able to serve women that way. Yeah. yeah we so we'll really be expanding. Because... I, I see expanding. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I with think our it's good, online training, program. it's going to be... Yeah, we're going to be able to, the her journey will is will be pretty easy. It's about a 12-week program to go through the training to become her journey leader and there's some qualifiers and some processes you have to go through to to get that become a certified leader, but um it's going to be available for people who are in a healthy place. Um whether they've experienced abuse or not, they can leave this program and do a good job. Um because we've seen it done. Yeah, I yeah. Um we had a great leader in in Roseburg, I know that. I don't know. I'm not there now, so I don't know if she's still there. But so that was uh, it was yeah. awesome. 
Okay, yeah. I think that's all the questions I have. Is there anything more that you'd like to share? Um, I just want to, I would just say a word of encouragement to both men and women that um, if you're experiencing abuse, you know, that there's help out there for you. And we usually encourage men who are victims of abuse to actually seek uh, one-on-one counseling. There aren't usually groups for men. Um, and then, uh, and if you're someone who uses abusive behaviors, to know that you're not alone in that, there's a lot of shame in that. Um, sometimes in actually admitting that that's the way you've been, to know that it takes a very strong person. And uh, people are usually very, have a lot of respect for someone who's willing to reach out and get help for the problems that they're, they're facing. And you can be not only change, but become an agent of change for others. And that's a pretty a pretty exciting thing to be able to do that for another person. Yeah. No, I and I appreciate you I giving me the opportunity to share. So, well, and again, uh, armsonline.org. Yeah, you've done so much for so many people, and you did so much for me that um, you're one of the first persons I thought of because I'm like, oh, my gosh, how do I get her? I mean, you're like this big executive director of this big company, so I really didn't. <laughs> I thought I'd get handed down to somebody else. <laughs> no, but no, we're wonderful. We're not as big as you think. <laughs> But what I really like yeah. is it's, um, it's free for women if they want to attend, and um, mm-hmm. and uh, but the man, mankind one that they have to pay for is that correct? That's right, and, and even though there's not mankind in every state and everywhere, there are programs like it. They just won't be most of them won't be faith based. It's really hard to find a faith based um, men's intervention program, but. Not all not all cities and not all states have them, but uh, there's a lot that do, and it's worth a drive if you have to drive. We've had men drive as far as three three hours um, each way to come to group before. So if wow. you're really motivated and you really want to change, um, you know it's an investment in your future and the future of your relationships. And is virtue so seek out help as well? Is it is not free. That is fee-based as well. It's very, very ran very similar to our men's program, with just a few nuances that are different. Because secondary aggressors have different motivations behind why they use abuse. It doesn't make it okay, but um, it has different nuances. So it's a little bit different. But um, those and and some states don't even aren't even. Um, sending women to programs, which I think is is too bad because. Uh, this program is super helpful for women who have been never been given the tools and yeah. have never known what to do with the anger they feel on the inside and are, are angry women doing angry behaviors. And I've had mm-hmm. a woman who went through the program who her grandmother told her, because uh, she had made such great change, um, her grandmother told her, this is the first time I've been with you where you didn't seem like you were angry. So she'd learned to heal and to make changes and to remain calm. And I just watched this gal make just incredible changes. And she figured out on her own as we were going through the lessons that this was a cyclical thing. She was repeating the patterns her mother had had, um, modeled for her. Let me ask you this question. Um, We have not necessarily a problem, but it it occurs, and I've heard about it on several occasions, in this area and in other areas, and I'm sure it happens everywhere. Um, we have victims arrested instead of um, 
abusers and victims yep, sometimes have end yep. up yeah end up having to take domestic violence classes. Um, would you recommend yep, we could those two? Yeah, take the virtue or the her journey. Which one do you think would be more beneficial? She would have to, if in her, if she were in our county, she would have to take virtue because that would be what the state would require of her. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. But if she's in the program and we find that, and we've only had a few women that we've had to do this with, that she leans so far to the victim side, she, doesn't, she does not relate at all with anything, we will actually contact probation and say, hey, we really need to move her over to her journey um, because this is not the appropriate program for her. And they usually accept our advice on that. And then there's other women who, um, you know, really they're not, they don't have super big patterns of like abuse, like really serious abuse. I had a woman come from another state. So she had no choice. She had to go through it. And her biggest abusive behavior, controlling behavior was the silent treatment. She did it all the time. The what? And I tell you, she did the silent treatment, giving the silent treatment oh, as a way to control conversation. Right. And so she that's what she wrote about in her, her journals and um, that we have them fill out. And she did really good work. And I tell you, every woman, even when they came in, um, really being the victim in the relationship, but they had used some behaviors that were inappropriate. Uh, and they, they often, when the police come, they tell the truth. They expect their partners to tell the truth, too, and they don't. And so the she told the truth, and she left marks on him, so they have to arrest someone, so they arrest her. The abusers don't often tell the truth, but the victims... No, that's what I meant. I, I said it wrong. Aggressors. Yeah, abusers yeah. lie and, and victims yeah. tell the truth, and so that's why women get arrested, or the victims get arrested, because right. they tell the truth and the abusers but the, lie. But right. I can tell you that those women generally do really well in the program, and they usually are. No one's happy about coming initially, but by the time they're done, they're all super thankful for the program and what they've gained from it. It is. What I really like is so. it's lesson um, propelled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but they're the the unlike her journey, it's not a process group. Virtue and mankind are process groups. They are groups where we we have discussions and talk about things. So um, it's still educational, but it, it's very much discussion based. Oh, it is discussion based. It's not propelled through the lessons. virtue and mankind. But there, yes, we have lessons that we go through. But there's discussion yeah. questions along the way within the lesson. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think all yeah. states need that, just saying. <laughs> well, I know so up in the inland northwest area, they do not. <laughs> yeah, they don't have it in every state, and they don't require it in every state. So, um, you know, it, things are changing, but it's a slow slow boat slow movement. Right. Well, they I know they require domestic violence classes probably in every state, and this would just be in addition to that correct so they could choose this class or that one well uh, some states some states don't offer um or or let's say i should say this way okay you can have states that offer both men's and women's intervention but you'll have some counties that don't don't have any either because they're they're small the rule and there's there's no programs for them to go to which is sad right yeah because then that makes it worse because they can't get the help. Right, and so then the so then prosecutors can't do anything, but 
maybe give a few days in jail, or if it's a felony, send them to prison for a time, which isn't necessarily yeah. the best answer either. No. no it's not gonna Sometimes it. it is. Sometimes it is, but not all the time. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So you think yeah. sitting in jail so at times is, fixes the problem? Does, uh, that, does that help sometimes? Sending in the jail has shown that it definitely cuts down on using physical abuse. They may figure out other ways to be abusive without getting caught in the system again. But there are some really dangerous guys who should be in prison. And there's other guys that um, prison will just make them better abusers because they're right. hearing it from other guys what to do. But, yes, you know, yes. you, can't, you can't control all that. This is a very complicated issue. There aren't any easy answers for this. Right, yeah. I find they're just getting better yeah. at not getting caught. Yeah. Sometimes that's the case. And even they can use even what we teach in a controlling way. Yeah. I'm thinking yep. anything we learn can be used in a controlling way probably. Anything. Anything can be used in a controlling way. Yeah. So, yep. All right. Well, I thought so if they want more information, we have lots on our website. Oh, go over that again. Share all of that first. I, I said we have a lot of helps on our website. We have yeah. um, we have some PDFs you can download, some information about um, types of abuse and the safety plan I was talking about, and just just some general yeah. things that are just there for help. And um, you know, anybody's welcome to call and have a conversation with us. And, and your website we're, address we're more than happy to do that. Dot org. Okay, your website org. Dot org. I'm sorry. Um, arms right. online. Arms online. Dot org. Org. Okay. Yeah. And the phone number again? 503-846-9284. Oh, thank you so much. I hope we uh, get Hello. this across the United States real soon. <laughs> uh, we're working on it. <laughs> I know you guys are. You're doing an amazing job. Thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you. Appreciate it. You have a good night. Okay, you too. Thank you so much. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, I just want to um, thank everybody for listening tonight. And um, thanks, Stacy, for joining us. And uh, we learned a lot um, about her wonderful organization. And I am uh, can't say I'm a graduate. I, I went through all the lessons on numerous occasions, and it's not uncommon Um let me go through it several times. I think I went through it four times um, before I left Oregon. And um, I'd actually like to probably facilitate some of those because they are very good. And um, so I highly recommend that you contact her if you're interested. She does do an online for those that don't have it in their state. And um, and they're working on some other uh, processes as well. I want to thank my listeners for listening tonight and learning more of how we can help each other and help ourselves in recovery. Next week, I will have an awesome person. It is um, Adele from New Zealand, and she's going to tell us a little bit about um, what she went through and uh, the things that helped her the most uh, to get through her um, abuse. And she was abused as a child. And um, she did not continue the cycle, and she's going to share with you the things that she did to 
not um, continue the cycle. So please listen next week, uh, Thursday at 6 p.m. Pacific, 7 Mountain, 8 Central. And please have a good night and stay safe. Good night. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.